Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell. Uh, Arthur Black is currently on the road somewhere in between Vegas and Monterey. On assignment is, I believe, how we're supposed to say He's this. on assignment, currently uh, traversing the desert. But uh, we've got Jake Parrott back on the show. It's been a while, but he is he has returned with, with lots of goodies in the bag. And uh, you, you just got here from the airport. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's Indianapolis. What do you do? You you get out of the airport and go have awesome Thai food and talk to you know a, a beverage visionary in a room full of totems and not that much <laughs> right, color. Yeah. So yeah, it's my first time inside the Inferno room, and uh, well, we're not that old. We've only been open uh, about a month now. So uh, luckily, not an actual Inferno. So no, 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 no. Well, we, are sa- we are safe despite all the tinder around us. We were a little concerned last night because we had some funny uh, chemical smells coming from the kitchen. And um, and I wasn't here, but my, my partner Chris called me and said, man, I've never sm- It smells like a spray adhesive. And my first thought was, that sounds combustible. <laughs> so, like, cut off, the gas- <laughs> cut off the gas lines, but ended up just being uh, some idiot contractors next door sealing the floors without any ventilation. Um so, yeah, they choked out all of our customers, and we had to close early. But anyhow, it's great to see you back in town again, man. I know this is a pretty quick trip for you, as your usual trips into any city. Well, you guys get Lee, so, I, I mean... Right, I, right, we have the benefit. It's, uh, you know, I, I got to see Lee a couple weeks ago in Memphis, and you know, I see Lee you know, maybe four times a year, and um, you guys get to see him as almost as much as I do, and it, he's uh, such a great fellow to work with, and... So great at, at you know, doing what we want to do, which is find new drinkers of things. And well, last time I saw you, you uh, were amongst all your travels, and we got to, to share some drinks at ABV in San Francisco. I was out there uh, what, four or five months ago, and it was right around the time that we were also uh, doing some podcasts from, from New York. The, the following week, I went to San Francisco, and, and yeah, I linked up with you, ABV. That was great. You were holding court at the end of the bar, man. Oh, hardly. That, that, <laughs> that was a great night. You know, ABV is is the bar that I think a lot of people dream of owning. It just has a lot of good stuff, and then makes good cocktails, but doesn't rub it your rub your face. Yeah, in it. and uh, the food's amazing. The food which, is awesome, and, and you don't even think about it. Like, oh, I'm gonna go to ABV and grab, but like Jesus, I mean, I think you, it was the burger, right? You were like, by the way, I ordered you the burger. I'm like, no, 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 I wasn't. You're like, no, no, no. It's already ordered. You're getting the burger. <laughs> and food till 1 a.m. You know, for all of the wonderful things there are about San Francisco, uh, late night eating is not one of them. Um, so it's a real, in much the same way that Rootstock works in Chicago. I mean, basically the only time I go to Rootstock in Chicago is after midnight. Uh, and it's extremely useful to be able to drink awesome wine and, and eat something worthy of eating at that kind of time of the night. Uh, ABV, I do often go earlier in the evening, but uh, it's a it's a special place and born out of a bunch of really great people who realized after many years in this business they looked around and actually just wanted to work with each other. Yeah, I really wish I would have been able to hang out there a little bit longer. Right, as as you know, I, I bailed on you because I had, I was like in search of edibles and it was harder to find a recreational dispensary than I had anticipated. Um, so, yeah, I was wandering around because we were on our way to go see uh, Dr. Octagon at the Fillmore. Oh, and so, right. uh, yeah, so you got to hang out with my wife most of the time. <laughs> but she's like, I love Jake. He was so nice. <laughs> uh, you know, looks can be deceiving. Looks <laughs> are deceiving. I, I can't um, do the Ricardo Montalban voice into a microphone. So. Uh, but, you know, uh, we you've always got so much th- stuff going on, man. And you said you just flew in from DC, which leads me to believe you were at home for a brief period of time. I was home to mow the grass. Okay. I, I did uh, an expense report. Um, man, I, did... I bet you about only getting a half day <laughs> off a week to go like do yard work and such. And you were only getting one day a month. Yeah. I got home Friday afternoon, turned around Saturday. I was at a, a wonderful bottle shop in Northeastern Maryland called state line liquors. Saturday night to do a Madeira seminar for about 25 folks. Um, that was super fun. Uh, talked about one of my my favorite things, which is uh, pairing Madeiras with American cheeses, uh, which is uh, a great way to celebrate both the history of Madeira and the fact that 
uh, how what how much amazing stuff is <laughs> going on in American cheeses these days? Ton of stuff. I was just at a, a meat sale, Smoking Goose, uh, yesterday, and yeah, they had a bunch, a ton, a ton, a ton of cheese out. Uh, set up mostly by Midwestern farmers, and it was just. It was pornography. Yeah, it's man. it's it's more than just uplands anymore. And of course, just to say it's more than just uplands is to is to talk about just how amazing uplands is as a producer up in Wisconsin. Um, so, it, by the way, if this co- if this comes out soon, it is the season for Rush Creek Reserve, which is probably the best soft cheese made in America. Sixty day aged raw Jersey cow's milk situation, washed rind, marvelous, marvelous cheese. Do they sell online? I don't know. Uh, I picked it up at local foods in Chicago. I have seen okay. it outside of their local market on occasion. All right, all right. Um, but I suspect that you... Well, we've got a lot of Chicago listeners, so... Yeah, I suspect you can also find... I suspect if you call them, they will find some cold packs. Um, so you were la- at home last night, and we always ask everybody what they drank last night, and typically when I talk to you, you've been at a bar the whole evening the last night but yesterday was a was a home day for you did did you have anything to drink last night i had a nondescript bourbon on the rocks when i got home at midnight from doing this madeira seminar um i had a couple of tastes just checking wines uh, uh before the seminar but it was a 2 hour drive home so i had to be circumspect sure um yeah you got to be careful about that yeah I, I didn't have too much to drink last night either. I, we, like I said, we had some problems with the bar last night. I think at the end of the night, I ended up having a having a quick cocktail and just to wind down of like from like having hypothetically left work and coming back thirty minutes later. So, but you know, hey, that's that's the life. I mean, it's a brand new bar. Like I'm lucky to have a you know a business partner like Chris that's you know was able to like really realize this whole scene here. It's weird because I'm like we're in here talking about. You know, uh, always with you, it's like vermouths and amari and aromatized wines and all these things. And we're sitting in the middle of like this uh, tropical Papua New Guinea. I jungle. like rum too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And well, we were talking about rum earlier. So, but you are in Indianapolis right now to talk Madeira. Um, so I know that you've got a whole bunch of cool bottles on the table that aren't necessarily what you brought for the event tomorrow. Um, or maybe it is. I don't know. You tell me. Well, there are a couple of them over there. Tomorrow I'm doing a seminar for the trade here in Indy uh, on the Madeiras of Henriquez and Enriquez, which is a pretty cool small producer. Um, they're much more of a grower than any other producer of Madeira on the island. Uh, they, they, they make and blend wines in demonstrably different ways from other producers on the island, try to get more cut and brightness and focus into the wines. Um, H&H is sort of the, the biggest part of a side of our business that we call Sotolone Selections. Uh, Sotolone is a, a chemical compound of all things. It's, uh, it's the flavor of... Well, fen- again, Gigi. Yeah, right. It's the flavor of fenugreek. Mm. Or fenugreek. I don't know how really? people tend to pronounce it these all right. days. Uh, and it's one of the three flavonoids, and I, I don't remember the other two, to be honest with you. One of the, <laughs> one of the three flavonoids that shows up a lot in oxidized wines. All right. And what Sotolon Selections is, is primarily a, a portfolio of aged oxidative wines from traditional producers and traditional places for these sorts of things. Some of them are things people have heard of, like Madeira. I think most folks have at least you know, heard the, the word Madeira before. And some of them are things that have never been put in glass bottles before. Uh, from from garages in Catalonia, you know, and it, for us, the voyage of discovery, both in you know our own tasting and and finding these guys, is the same processes as we did as as we do when we when we go find a new spirit or amaro or or aromatized wine, um, but the the conversations about them are much more wine conversations, and so. You know, we we kind of keep this this part of the portfolio with its own little heading, just to kind of focus our ourselves and our customers at every level of the supply chain. That that this is what these things are. These are you know sort of peculiar. The the French word particulier, which just <laughs> you know the the connotation of that word is much more than the English word particular. Um, 
But that's what, one of the things that I always think about. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, as much as we love all of our guests, obviously we've grown closer over the years to certain people more than others. And Arthur's known you for, you know, several several years. Um, much shorter, or I'm sorry, much longer time than I have. But um, it's, like, y- yourself and, like, Nico Palasi has been on a couple times. Like, I love what you guys do because you're really hunting down, like, the the – Particular, the French. I, I'm not going to butcher French. I, I regularly butcher French. We should French probably on this show. get you, you know. guys. Should probably get Nico N- to come. Nico do saying it. the word and just have that as a drop in. <laughs> we know? probably should. Like on sports talk radio, just push the button for Nico going particulier. We could, we just um, have him do it like via phone, so it has like that Skype like terrible like right, treble. Right. <laughs> but um, but no, I, like what you guys do and uh, at House Alpens is um. I mean, there's nothing in the portfolio you can be like, yeah, they've got some cool stuff, but mostly it's bullshit. Like, that's not the case whatsoever. Like, everything across the board is ridiculously amazing. And we were talking uh, on the way over here today, um, uh, you know, you were that a, a lot of people don't really know how to taste Madeira or even really what it is. And I feel like that's... I don't not feel I know it because we you know we're on like on premise you know we're selling stuff on premises for our listeners out there that aren't um, in the industry there's on premise off premise we're selling the booze here we're on premise if you take it home you're drinking it off premise but at a bar or um, a- as we are you know you we have to explain that and we have Madeira in a, c- a couple of our tiki drinks um, and so that's like a whole other thing that we have to explain all of that before we can even get to the taste profile of the drink so like how how do you chip away at that stone because it, it can be intimidating you've got years on bottles you've got I mean tons of other information on there um, it's it's a tough thing for especially for a consumer and honestly I think a lot of bartenders in the same boat yeah, I mean and Believe me, plenty of retailers are in the same boat too. You know, there there's a few different angles or a few different things you talk about. Um, you know, the first is to talk about why this stuff exists. And if you ever hear someone from from House Alpens talk about any of our products, we're pretty much always going to say, do something to talk about why this stuff exists. Madeira, the island, and if, if you're listening and want to pull up Google Maps and see where it is, it, it doesn't look like a place where wine grows. And uh, great vines were brought to Madeira because in the 1400s, if you were from Europe and you settled anywhere, you brought vines because for all you knew, they grew everywhere and you wanted booze. And distillation wasn't really a thing. So they soon figured out that the, the best way to, to actually get a yield of grapes to make wine with was to pick them pretty early. And so the wines were pretty acidic. But Madeira, if you look at it on the map, is the last stopping off point. If you're sailing south to catch the trade winds to head to the New World, uh, Madeira was the as last... One, as one does. <laughs> as Ed does. I mean, you know, yeah. here we are in the middle of <laughs> well, you know, okay. well, the Inferno Room. Uh, but, but, you know, if you were sailing... If you were under sail headed to the New World, you sailed south, and Madeira, you, you hit Madeira and turned right. And Madeira was the last supply point, and was, which meant it was the last supply point for booze. And so they'd make this wine, and it's kind of rot gut, and roll it on the ships, and, you know, send it on its merry way. They got paid, and the sailors got drunk, and, you know, if they had acid reflux, that was probably the least of their concerns. <laughs> yeah. So then the, the legend... Send some Tums. You're right. Tom's. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good word. That's an underrated pirate voice word. Tom's. Um, dear Lord. Uh, so the legend goes that some barrels made a round trip, that they were put on a ship and then they were forgotten about and didn't weren't get didn't get drunk by the sailors, didn't get discharged at their destination. They came back and they had been heated up quite a bit and shaken up and. And the folks on the island realized that that made them taste better. And so the folks on the island weren't dumb. They started managing that heating. They would either do heating, they would heat the wine on the island, because there's plenty of sun on the island, or merchants would send Madeira barrels out on voyages. And you, you could actually buy Madeira marketed as where it went on its voyage to get heated. Hmm. You could buy Bombay Madeira. You know, you could buy... That's interesting. Yeah. And 
you know, the, the early history of the commercialization of Madeira, you know, this is wine that was still sort of, might have been a little iffy. Uh, still very much a wine of convenience. As, as the New World got more and more settled with European uh, folks, you know, look, they, they wanted to get wasted, and, you know, and sure. you know, wine was safer than water. So uh, just to drink with anything. The, the, the sort of second perturbation of Madeira and the reason why we talk about Madeira today and what, why Madeira became so important in uh, early American foodways and early American gastronomy is in, in the early 1700s when dis- distillation is more of a thing, someone, the folks on the island realized if they added a bit of spirit to the wine, and it might have been brandy and it might have been actually cane spirit, the local cane spirit, which mm-hmm. isn't very good, um, that the wines wouldn't go bacterial. And so they could age the wines longer and let them evaporate and concentrate. And that, that was what made Madeira into a fine wine, into a merchant's wine, not just sort of a wine that was sold as a commodity or as a supply. And that's where you get, you know, this is, all of this is the prologue to what, you know, someone writes in a wine textbook, Thomas Jefferson great, drank Madeira. Sure. Yes, Thomas yeah. Jefferson drank Madeira. But, you know, there is a reason why. So there's, there's sort of that side of it, the why, why this stuff exists, why this stuff is a fortified wine, you know, from there you get the codification of the different grapes and 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 the sweetnesses they're allowed to be made and, and etc. But but sort of why this stuff exists. And the second thing that I find I have to do with a lot of folks is get them to understand that Madeira is not port. That's a big one, man. Madeira, I, I, and, and it's and not I, just a geographic thing. And you see it a lot, uh, even on dessert lists. So uh, you know, like dessert wines and stuff. You go to a restaurant, and it's like you know, you've got Madeira listed right next to port. And I, I you're 100 percent right. Like there's that confusion, um, geographically because of proximity. But like not only that, um, it ain't that close. No, but I'm talking about Americans not knowing their geography. <laughs> I didn't. I was, I was hoping a, you weren't going to make me insult all Americans <laughs> here. <laughs> I once had a. I literally what, a long time ago. I once had a wine merchant say to me that. South Africa must make good Sauvignon Blanc because they're so close to New Zealand. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, That's not real, right? Nobody said. Please tell me no one said that. It was that. 2006. It was a simpler time. Uh, yeah. Yes, just 12 years ago. 12 but Way, way back years before ago. we had, uh, you know, maps. That's right. <laughs> when winosaurs rolled, roamed the earth. I mean, I don't even think MapQuest was around still. <laughs> I think they. You know, I think they were already gone by that no, point. I, uh, we might have already been on Google Maps at yeah, that I point. Yeah, I remember using MapQuest in 2007. Yeah. So anyway, so Madeira is not port. So there's a, a, a wide, a wide number of ways Madeira is not port. Number one, and one that really informs tasting of Madeira, is Madeira is made from underripe grapes. Port is made from overripe grapes. That is huge. Important one there, folks. Take notes. That's huge because port, that means port has all this richness ready to go. When it gets fortified, yes, there's residual sugar. There's residual sugar in in Madeira when it's fortified, but there's also all this other creamy, rich, soft textured stuff going on. And the aging of port is mainly the evolution of the aromatics of that sort of rich stuff. But it's also why port can also seem alcoholic or softer, Mm -hmm. you know, and why truly great ports are. So striking to those of us who who enjoy all kinds of these sorts of wines because there's so much sort of meh port out there. Madeira is made from underripe grapes. That means that it is always driven by its acidity. And that acidity is very shrill when it's young. You can, you know, if if you've ever had a glass of sort of inexpensive Vigno Verde, uh, Vigno Verde, a lot of people in America think Vigno Verde is only an, an, an inexpensive wine from Portugal. There's actually some very, very nice Vigno Verde out there. But if you think about the, you know, the thing with the, the shrimp on the label that you get at the supermarket, uh, it's made from underripe grapes, and the acidity on it is all on the tip of your tongue. Um, it's like, like if you, when, you, when you get sort of bad supermarket orange juice and it makes those little bumps on the tip of your tongue, it's that kind of acidity. Well, as Madeira matures... It's an odd reference. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I buy a supermarket OJ that's ever done that. Well, I don't really Well, so you buy there. the good stuff. Well, I just... I work at a bar. We just juice our own oranges. <laughs> Funny story. We actually sent uh, a, a newbie um, recently to go get... Uh, I, there was a miscommunication. It was like, uh, hey, we need, we need orange juice. Can you, can you go grab 
um, here's the card. There's a supermarket down there. We're we're out. And um, he texted back uh, a couple hours later and um, said, like, how, how many gallons do you guys need? Like, no, 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 no. We just need, like, 10. He's like, 10 gallons? No. We need 10 oranges so that we can juice them. <laughs> um, but, no, nah, I love the guy. He's an old friend. It just it was, uh, it was like, hold on a second. I was like, are we playing OJ? Are we in that big of a hurry? <laughs> so, sorry. Weird side note. If you're in India and want to start a juice commissary, here's your chance. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, uh, we've been blasting through the city's juice and rum and uh, at, at an incredible rate. I think we, we just, uh, Ed Hamilton was on the show last. We've upped his Indiana sales 85% over the last three weeks. That's a tall order indeed. <laughs> uh, sorry, I can't, I can't resist uh, the, the dad jokes on a Sunday night. Uh, so, so young Madeira, even though it's fortified and has sugar, has that same kind of shrill acidity. Sure. And so as the longer a Madeira matures, the more different acids get created. And those acids carry flavors m- across more and more of your tongue. And so you can actually, you can line up a couple of Madeiras, even if they're made from a different grape, even if they're different sweetness levels, and actually taste them for relative maturity simply by mapping how well does this really cover my tongue with acidity and mm-hmm. flavor? And it's good Madeiras that, that have that kind of acidity all the way across your tongue that are the Madeiras that go best with food. Um, you could say perhaps that's the next thing about the uh, difference between Madeira and Port is that uh, you know, good Madeira is friendly with so many kinds of foods, mm-hmm. whereas good Port is friendly with... Well, if you if you ask an old British fellow, it's a cigar and a Cox's orange pip and apple. But uh, <laughs> the the you know that that and it's that acidity that does it. Um, port is port is fortified with a seventy seven percent alcohol spirit. Madeira is fortified with a ninety six percent. Is it alcohol always or I'm sorry, always seventy seven percent? Okay. Por- Madeira- we didn't get to those numbers on the last episode. I don't think. Yeah. We, I think yeah. Arthur. Uh, Madeira is fortified with a 96% alcohol spirit. The, the finished alcohols are about the same. The simple fact is, is that Madeira is less diluted than mm-hmm. port. I mean, you could say if you, if you squint at the numbers close enough, you, almost 20% of a bottle of port is not wine. And uh, I like wine. Sure. You know? um, so there, there's this little bit, there's this extra concentration in Madeira. Um, Madeira comes in styles from very, very dry to relatively sweet. Whereas there's a very small corner of the port world that's dry, virtually all ports are pretty darn sweet. And so that, that goes farther on this sort of food-friendly uh, side of things. Ports are generally blends of grapes. Madeira are generally monovarietal grape, monovarietal wines, or um, to the extent that the European Union allows for varietal labeling. Um, and what that what that has led to in Madeira is the buildup of separate personalities for six different grapes on the island, and uh, that's a big part of the fun, but it's also a big part of the complexity of it. Certainly, and so I mean, I, I, mean, I hate to like belabor the point. So we're, we're I walk into a liquor store, I go into a bottle shop, and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the shelf, and I see I see vintages, I see some varietals. Um, uh, or some styles listed on the label. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how how does one navigate that? Like, I mean, as we look across the you know the table, and we've got uh, Verdilio and and uh, Social uh, that I can see immediately without you know. Yeah, the other squinting one, my eyes in a dark tiki bar. To, to, to give uh, to give the the listeners a look, I, I've I've lined up seven bottles on the table. Three of the seven bottles are Madeiras. Right, right, right. Um, the others are other examples of subtle and selections wines. So, so we're Madeira, gonna get to those soon. So Madeira, there are, there are six grapes grown on the island. Um, there are five white grapes and one red grape, uh, and this is by and large. There's bits and bobs of other stuff, but uh, the one main red grape on the island is called Tinta Negra, and Tinta Negra is relatively easy to grow in the climate of Madeira, and it bears a lot of fruit. Um, it's about fifty percent of the vines on the island, but about ninety percent of the wine. That's how much it bears. Okay. Um, and Tinta Negra is allowed by the Madeira laws to be made at any sweetness level. 
So it is, you know, something that's can be used to fill gaps or can be used and is used for inexpensive Madeira. And we'll talk more about, I, I assume we will talk more about how, how you make this stuff in a minute because there, there is a, we've left out the, the, the oxidation yeah, right, step here. The core, the core of it. The core of it. But the five white grapes on the island are heavily controlled in terms of the sweetness level you're allowed to make each one. Uh, the, the grape that's required to be made the driest is called Cercial. Uh, or Cercial, if you if you're better at Portuguese than me, S E R C I A L. Is that the um, one language you don't speak? I don't speak any languages. Really? I can order dinner Fool in a me, lot of languages. Right, yeah, exactly. But donde uh, está el baño? I'm I mean, I seriously, if you can Spanish. order dinner and a beer and and ask where the toilet is, you've done you've done well. Um, Honestly, I find that uh, when traveling, if you can ask um, the bartender what what is your favorite drink uh, on the menu that typically, or something of that nature, you know, like, uh, what are you into? What, what, what's the best thing around here? What, what are the, what's everybody love? What are you most proud of that? No. You, you've just booked the rest of your trip, <laughs> you know, cause that's when you get the stream of consciousness of bars. You can get a long, go a long way in Japan on the word. Osusume, which is uh, wait, let's, let's slow that suggestion. down. Suggestion. Osusume. Osusume. Yeah. Osusume. All right. Perfect. We're gonna. Susume kimoto Ah, look at you, buddy. Uh, again, I just asked for uh, a nihonshu made or a sake made in a in a very specific style of fermentation. But, uh, I think I remember. Uh, like I think I can go so far as to say like nihongo yokunai desu or like I can't remember now. It's, it's it just essentially means my Japanese is really terrible. It's really terrible. Yeah, I got the nihongo part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, I, it got me. It got me through Sicily, actually. Oddly enough, um, <laughs> uh, when I was sitting at a uh, bus station in um, Tropani, they told me where the bus station was, and I was like, "I don't believe this is the bus station. This looks like a place where you hide bodies." Like and there was one guy selling sandwiches and tickets, but it didn't look like a legit bus station. And uh, there was one guy sitting next to me, and he looked Japanese, and I asked him in Japanese, "Are you Japanese?" And he was like, "Ah!" And then he spat off a you know, paragraph of things I couldn't understand. So yeah, sometimes that ball comes <laughs> back over the net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, it's the mistake of, of using the word Nihon, right? Like, yeah. so like everybody else in the world says Japan, but except the Japanese, they're like, oh, you know that word? Yeah, don't lie to me. You speak a little Japanese. Yeah, you, you don't get you you don't get too far then. But to speak a little bit about the the, the oxidation, because I really do want well, to get into some of the Let's little do little the one. grapes, and then we'll do the oxidation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get from one one or the other. Uh, so Cercial has to be made the driest. Um, there are two grapes that are generally made medium dry. Uh, Verdelio is required to be made medium dry. Terantej can be made a little bit sweeter, um, although in my view the best examples are pretty dry. Uh, Boal, um, which sometimes you'll see spelled B-U-A-L, but... In Portuguese, is spelled B-O-A-L, okay. uh, is required to be made medium sweet. And then Malvasia, which you'll often see called Malmsey by British-owned companies, mm -hmm. uh, is required to be made sweet. Uh, and sweet is not ridiculously sweet when you take into account the acidity of the wines, but it is, you know, it is on the sweet side. Uh, and, th and those are very tightly controlled. The way you make this stuff is, is you start by picking the grapes a bit early. Um, and then crush and start fermenting, and then hit with alcohol to fortify. So at that point, you know, other than the fact that you've brought the grapes in pretty early, this is pretty much a fortified wine process. After that fortification, though, is the big step, which is a direct and deliberate oxidation step. Inexpensive Madeiras, um, a lot of wines made of Tinta Negra, are um, oxidized in a our heat, and oxidation is always through heat. The oxidation is done in a process called estufagem, uh, in what's called an estufa, which in modern facilities looks, if you've been to a brewery, you've seen an estufa. They're basically jacketed brew kettles. Right. But they and run the water at about 125 degrees. So to like just pause for a moment yeah. for our listeners out there that aren't in the industry, um, I, you, you, if you've attended a wine class or you've gone to a, a wine tasting, they always tell you that you know, you're two enemies of wine. Or, uh, or heat and oxygen. Heat and oxygen. That's right. <laughs> so um, that I, I want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of 
check mark that point as we go forward because those are the, it's the exact opposite with Madeira. That's right. That's right. They, this this these wines are killed until dead. <laughs> um, so so if you're if you're doing your oxidation in an estufa, that takes between six and twelve months. The, the uh, tanks are vented so that it gets oxygen into the system, and then the heating again to mimic kind of this o- ocean voyage. Um, the the more traditional and much slower way of oxidizing wine, but one that allows the wine to kind of sort itself out a little bit more or a lot more during during the oxidation period is a system called Cantero, C-A-N-T-E-I-R-O. And Cantero is actually a word for a barrel rick. Okay. So the things the barrels sit on. And basically that means is you take the... the In Indiana here, Jake, we all know what rick house is. We know what ricks are. That's right. (laughs) So you you take the freshly fortified wine, you put it down in barrels. These are generally old 620 liter barrels. And you stick it in the attic. Just you, let it you bake. Move, you move grandma out and you stick it in the attic and there's plenty of heat and not much ventilation and it does the job. It takes a long time, though. Um, How long are we taking? H&H, uh, the, the folks that we work with, Humberto Jardim, the winemaker there, will tell me that you know, eight or nine years, really, wow. to get the complete okay. oxidation done. Other producers would say even longer. Um, but, uh, but yeah, eight, nine, ten years to really say, all right, put a stake in the ground and say, all right. So the difference is- be- between these two techniques, I mean, if we're going kind of like old school, like natural, like throw it in the attic in a, in a kind of a heated, elevated place um, versus like a heated jacket. Um, I mean, modern, what, the use of modern taste, tanks for can heating. Can we taste the difference here? Yeah. The, be careful that bulk heating is not new on Madeira. Sure, sure, sure. And it's hundreds of years old. Um Heating in in nice shiny stainless steel jacketed brew kettles is new. Well, I'm just curious. Like, can, is there a difference between like the, the elevating the the speed of that um, versus kind of going the slow route? As you know, we we know with a lot of things, kind of taking your time really uh, it allows different things, you know, chemical processes to occur and such. Yeah, and and I think that it, it's a, a couple of things. One in in Cantero, in the attic. The wine is undergoing its aging processes at the same time that it's undergoing oxidation. And so the oxygen is interacting over time with a much more complex soup of stuff mm-hmm. uh, than is happening in, in an estufa. Uh, the other thing is a more of a business thing, which is if you do all your wine in a estufa, then you end up with a lot of young wine that you're, you may feel pressure or uh, an opportunity to sell. And you end up putting out a lot of right. you can end up putting out a lot of wine that's sort of under underage. Um, whereas if you if you commit to doing things in Cantero, you know you have to wait longer. But what you end up with is something that's a lot more that can be a lot more interesting, especially for white grapes. Cool. I mean, that's uh, hopefully we didn't just kill your whole talk tomorrow. But uh, then again, uh, your talk tomorrow is going to be before everybody can double down and listen to this episode later. Um, I do want to get to some of the other bottles we got on the table because we talked uh, earlier in the week when you gave me a heads up you were coming into Indy, and uh, it's a pretty badass portfolio, man. It, it's pretty fun. I mean, I mean H and H simply because they're the largest of our suppliers is is such a big part of it, and it's probably worth talking a little bit quickly about H and H. Founded in 1850, um, like I said, a grower producer, and and what they do a little bit differently from other producers is, or a lot differently is, you know, they do a lot more age stated wines and a lot fewer vintage dated wines. You know, they're, they're, they're really trying to, um, preserve the, the ability to get Madeira with a a good amount of maturity out to people at prices where they can, they can buy it and drink it. Um, old, you know, old, gar- what we have to call now Garafera Madeira, single harvest Madeira that's aged for at least 20 years. It's great, but the, the prices, you, you, it's very hard to want to get people out and drinking it. Um, but what they do when they do their age-stated blends is they make sure that every drop of wine that goes into an age-stated blend is at least the age that's on the bottle. Okay. The law in Madeira is the same as the law in port. You can have what, right. what, what are called representative age statements, which mm-hmm. can roughly be translated as average age Averages, statements. Averages, right. So um, 
I don't know if you maybe want to grab that 20-year-old Verdelio over there. Um, it, yeah, that I, wine I'm not is against open. that whatsoever. I'm that gonna, wine is open. Uh, you just keep talking here, buddy. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you do the, what you need to do. The, the, other, thing, uh, the other thing about h h is when they put a grape name on a label, it's 100% of what's in the bottle. And that's, you know... By the way, folks, um, if you are a podcaster out there, I highly recommend picking up Jake um, for an episode or two because he always brings goodies. You know, when we talk about 100% of, of the grape being in the wine, the, the law for adding for putting a variety name on a bottle in the European Union is 85%. And it's, you know, Tintinegra is so much less expensive and so much more of a chameleon grape that it's the, the temptation is there, both from a business and a style perspective, to add 15% Tintinegra into a white grape wine. The, mm. the what that does, and, and that's not a new thing. That's something that goes back sure. at least three hundred years. Of course, but what it does is it takes that sort of piquant, bright, tight white grape texture and softens it like crazy. And if that's, that's what beautiful. you want, if you want something in that vein, you know that's great. H and H doesn't do that. It's a dis- it's a distinction. You can decide if it's better or not. So um, we like working with them because we have a lot of different wines we get to sell at a lot of different price levels that are, you know, sort of double digits retail. But, um, but also that the wines have this sort of great sort of expression, uh, expressiveness, he said, uh, to them. So the wine, he, he said after numerous glasses of beer and wine and... Hardly. So, so the wine in Ed's glass right now is the H&H 20-year-old Vedelio. Verdelio is the core of H&H's farming. Uh, they farm about That's beautiful. 12 hectares of Verdelio. And so they have a lot of Verdelio wine to work with, down in barrel, ready to blend. You know, once, once wine finishes its oxidation, it's now a blender's game. What do you have? What do you want to sell? What do you want to sell consistently? And so they blend three Verdelios, 10-year-old, 15-year-old, and 20-year-old. The 15, like the other 15s, is a little bit round. They take the wines that are aromatically richer, uh, and those go in there. And then the 20s, which they do in Verdelio, Terranteja, and Malvasia, are the salty wines. Yeah, definitely. And this is uh, a, a really great example of, of something that where that acid, mat- that acid evolution has finished all the way across uh, the really tongue. It really does. That's what I was getting ready to say. So and like, then, as I'm like, but then they pick the salty wines. I'm jumping it. in, and like, yeah, that acid's very pronounced, but it's like it's got. Um, you know, we always talk about. Uh, Kind of your your beginning palette, your mid palette, and, your, and the finish. And you know, we always want you know when we're building a cocktail to make sure that the it's a fun ride, the roller coaster ride all the way through. Nothing drops off mid palette, and just the acid alone is carries all the way through. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful acidic backbone. Yeah. Um, the the wine uh, that H and H maybe is best known for is is this wine's sort of sister. It's the twenty year old Tarantege. Um, those of you who went to high school in a place that has a running track, uh, think about the area inside a running track, the, that, that physical you know, area. Multiply that by two, and that's the total amount of land in the world that's planted to this grape Tarantege. And it doesn't bear very well. In 2014, 500 kilograms of Tarantege were harvested. Jesus. H&H looks after two-thirds of the world's Tarantege. And so they offer a 20-year-old Tarantage that's, you know, as these things go, relatively inexpensive, but, uh, but is incredibly expressive. It's got this great citric character. Tarantage is not Torontes, but it has some of that same kind of citricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a wine that, that H&H is very much known for. And that wine and this wine, the, the 20-year-old Verdelio, are, are two wines I love selling to whiskey drinkers. Yeah, you know, we talk about finding the new, finding new drinkers of old things, and one of the many ways we try to find new drinkers in Madeira is talking to folks in the whiskey world. It's always the fucking whiskey drinkers, and I'm not saying anything negative about that. We've had a lot of whiskey folks on the show, and and I mean, obviously it's no secret I'm a rum drinker, but that's always something that you know everybody's like, well, how do you sell this to a whiskey drinker? I'm like, damn, why is everybody? It's what the question's always, how do you sell it to a whiskey drinker? Well, I, I think, I, and I and I apologize for oversimplifying it. I, I guess, or th- someone who drinks aged and rare sure, spirits, absolutely. And I think the yeah. assumption is, you're not wrong. Well, I mean, uh, it was, I was a lot ra- of yeah. ranting for a moment. <laughs> Rant accepted. Um, <laughs> 
But but the point being is that you know these are wines that have a lot more rarity than your average aged and rare spirit. Oh, absolutely. They have the same shelf stability. Remember, Madeira is cooked till dead. Once you open a bottle, you keep it open for as long as you want. That's probably the number one way it's that Madeira is not port. Because a bottle of port, even an old tawny, you've got to drink pretty soon after you open it. Mm-hmm. So it's the shelf stability, the rarity, the real taste of age. Goes better with cheese than a rare age spirit would. Goes better with cigars in a lot of cases than a rare age spirit would. Because it gives some acidity to kind of keep you awake. Uh, and oh, by the way, you can have two glasses of Madeira and still have a glass of a of a rare age spirit afterwards. Absolutely. Because you're not wasted. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm looking at this bottle. It's 20% alcohol yeah. by volume, so. And and the and the pricing, you know, this 20 Verdelio, you're looking at about eh, about 100 bucks a bottle on the shelf. 100 bucks, 105 bucks. In the spirits world, I mean, I, I think we all know at this point, if you're looking for something really good, that's nothing. Yeah. I mean, well, right, exactly. I mean, if you're going under that, you're really making some making some sacrifices into qualities. Yeah, so. and, I mean, a hundred uh, bucks. That's that's it's it. Yes, it's not inexpensive, but it's by no means a pricey bottle. And it's got that good to the last drop feeling. Cool. Well, um, please don't drop the mic um, because those things are expensive. Right. <laughs> but yeah. no, I think that's exactly why everybody should be drinking Madeira. Um, I mean, I've always been obsessed. I, I'm not sure I can actually make your seminar tomorrow, but uh, seeing the rest of the bottles on the table kind of makes me uh, a little upset that I might not be able to. But it's going to be a good time. Yeah. What What else do you? What did you bring with you? Because you have a lot of this. So, so stuff. I brought a. I brought a. Um, a couple of other Madeiras. I brought a the 2001 Cercial Single Harvest, which is a wine that Ed has had before. I have. Uh, at ABV. Now, I was going to say, we were at ABV when we had it. Folks, if you're going to San Francisco and you want to drink really good Madeira, go to ABV. <laughs> Not only do they have really good Madeira, they sort of forgot to mark it up. Dude. Uh, um, it's just their I, thing. Well, they, they, just want, they just want to, They just want people to drink good stuff. Though. Shit, man. Though I was like, so when I left ABV with my wife, when and at that point we had already gotten our uh, our edibles and we we're on the way to Doctor Octagon and feeling pretty decent. But uh, I, I was like, you know, I think I know one reason why Jake loves that place. I'm like, three quarters of that back bar was House Alpins, well, <laughs> but there's they, a good reason for that because I mean, it, it, and I, I, you know, again. I, I think it's no secret that we're uh, we have no problem calling out bullshit when we see it. I mean, we've never edited that shit out of our episodes, um, and there's a reason we love having you on, man. Because like, a- absolutely everything that you and your boss do, like it's it's what we want, it's what we need, and without people willing to do the work to bring in quality and to educate on these kind of I wouldn't say necessarily esoteric, but like lesser known, lesser understood um, alcohols. Then it's we are all stuck drinking uh, fucking Ron Rico handles or whatever. <laughs> does that even exist anymore? I don't know. I'm sure. If it you does. only sold what people asked for, you'd end up running a bar with Grey Goose and Miller Lite. Uh, vodka sodas, man. But uh, no, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll turn that one right back on you, and which is to say. Our our day to day work is a search for people to carry the the information and enthusiasm that that we have forward. You know, there's four of us that cover the whole country and sure. five more for right. New York, and that's right. it. You know, there's only so many people we can talk to in a day. Absolutely, and uh, it's it's a Can't lot of fun. It's a Obviously. lot of fun to watch you guys, all of you out there, whether you're. You run a shop, you run a bar, you're a bartender, you work at a shop, or you're the what we like to call the most important part of the drinks business. The drinkers. The the enthusiastic amateur. Watching you guys talk about stuff and talk not just about our stuff, but putting stuff in your own context uh, every day is a lot of fun. I mean, and it's fun for us to educate that as well. So as we learn things, we are always passing it on. You know, obviously in a in a middle of a busy dinner service, we're not going to have a twenty five minute lecture about Madeira. But, um, uh-huh. but what we found that like if you just don't offer the bullshit, and you don't give that opportunity to order the wrong, whatever. Maybe maybe not necessarily wrong, but um, a more boring drink. We we always try to edge somebody into something else. Um, Funny story. So we actually um, had a business partner of mine had a 
uh, one of his dad's buddies came in uh, a couple couple weeks ago, well, a couple months ago, and um, got really shitty. I didn't have vodka on the shelf. We didn't we don't carry vodka there. Um, and he's like, "Fine, I'll just drink a beer." Well, I was like, "No, no, no, no! I've I've got to run back here. That's pretty neutral." I'm like, "I don't I don't think you'll be able to notice the difference. It's it's, it's pretty neutral." And let me let me do what you want. Wait, you want a vodka soda? Let me make you a little rum soda. You it'll be fine. He said, absolutely not. I don't drink rum. Yada, yada, yada. So I pull a rum that shall remain nameless. Um, and I give it to him neat. And I also, I, I did hunt down a bottle of vodka. Uh, I think it had been buried down in the uh, the depths of the cellar somewhere. for Bar cleaner. <laughs> um, it was a real bottle of vodka. Um, it, I think we brought it in for some like group of lawyers that had come in and like were like, well, they're paying so much if they want to fucking drink car clean or whatever like they, no sometimes that's the only cleaner you have yeah, yeah, yeah. at bar combat bar combat brooklyn i i had to i had to measure out i had to pour out a bunch of samples of amaro into of a few different amari into ketchup cups and which meant a lot of amari ended up on the table i was working on sure and there were no cleaning supplies anywhere i had a towel and so luckily um a large vodka brand was doing a display near oh, where no. I was, and I, I literally was like, "Can I just get an ounce, an ounce of vodka?" Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I've used it to clean my windshields and everything else. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, we. So I, I did a blind tasting uh, on him. I said, "Here's just." I'm not trying to be a dick, and I wouldn't have done it to a normal customer. It was just uh, he happened to be a friend of chefs. So I said, "Just I'm gonna sit him down in front of you, and you just let me know what you want, or you know what you think." And I said, "One of these is vodka. One of these is rum." You. Let me know. And uh, he looked at me with a smirk, and he goes, well, you're trying to fuck with me because they're both vodka, but this one is the premium one. And I'm like, well, they're not both vodka, and your, quote, premium one is actually rum. So I was like, I was like, and I'm not trying to make you feel stupid. I was like, what I was just trying to demonstrate to you because you're a friend of ours is that, you know, like we, we're trying to get you something that you enjoy. We're actually really going through a lot of pains, and like these kinds of trainings that we do with you and with House Alpins, and and any number of other uh, importers and distributors that come through is like we're we're trying to educate ourselves in such a way that we can land you into the right thing. You know, we're 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 tailors. You know, we're we're going to make it fit perfectly for you. Um, and I think if you're so, doing your job, I think sometimes that context is easier in the wine world simply because you have Certainly. food available to you. Right. You know. If you, you know, one of my ways, one of my favorite things to talk about with, with a good Verdelio is is a hard American cheese, something like Upland's Pleasant Ridge Reserve, for those of you who are in the Midwest, or I uh, was using a Mountaineer from Meadow Creek Farm in Virginia yesterday uh, at my, my presentation in, in Maryland. You know, things like that. That, that. There are these food angles that you can do with wine, whether that's aromatized wine or oxidized wine. Uh, that that gives you some other entree, which is you like that cheese, or you like that, you know, tinned, you know, Spanish tinned seafood. I've got something that is traditionally drunk with it, and I also have something that I figured out goes really, really well. And that's a lot harder when you're talking about 114 proof rum. <laughs> it is certainly though not impossible. Great beef jerky. Oh man, there's some, and yeah. Smith and Cross. Uh oh, now you're just trolling Ed Hamilton. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Ed Ed has been a wonderful influence in my life. Ed's great, dude. He was on our last show, and uh, it, like I, he's he's coming back around. We actually had a really long conversation about uh, Demerara and uh, the whole to do that he had to do with. Uh, Trademarking the name of a river. It's like you can't trademark a geographic area. Um, but yeah, that was a whole thing. Listen to our last episode if you're into that. Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, what's what's next, man? I mean, like, yeah, I we know, got a few I know other things do. over there. We got, um, uh, we do have uh, a bourbon barrel finished Madeira, uh, which is a, actually an outgrowth of a project that H does to season casks for Scotch distilleries. Uh, I've got a couple examples over there of um, wines that are referred to in French by the expression rancio sec. Uh, Speaking in, my language now, man. Yeah. You might, um, but explain that to our, to our listeners. Right, right, right. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry if you've never heard of it because no one has. The, uh, there's a tradition in Catalonia. And remember, Catalonia, there's a little bit of Catalonia in France. 
and most of it is that sort of northeastern corner of Spain. There's a tradition in Catalonia of preserving wine through complete oxidation. And these wines have to be pretty high in alcohol because they're not fortified. So they've got to be north of about 14, 14, 5 to start. And then um, they're oxidized in a variety of ways. You can put them in half-filled barrels. People put them in glass jugs out in the sun or put barrels out in the sun. But then once the wines are oxidized, there's very little commercialization of it, and there's very little planning of what to do with these wines. They basically go down in old, worn-out barrels that aren't good for anything other than to hold this old Rancio wine. Rancio means exactly what you think it means, folks. And um, and I remember when we were first going around and, and kind of asking folks about Rancio Sec and, and dry Rancio wines, they kept saying in response to us, oh, you mean the garage wine. Literally, this is the sort of wine that someone keeps in their garage and they use it for cooking and they use it to pair with tapas and cheeses and anchovies and it's basically the only wine in the world that goes with anchovies. <laughs> but the idea of putting it in a glass bottle, putting a, a law-conforming label on it and selling it in, you know, in the next town over, let alone on the other side of the world... It was completely foreign to these folks. And so we're fascinated by these wines. Uh, they have a great deal of more shelf stability compared to something like sherry. And so we've, we've sort of started trying to make them into a bit of a category here very, very slowly. Uh, there's some that are quite inexpensive. There's some that are a little more. Uh, but these have these incre incredible nutty notes. But then because they're made from fully ripe or overripe grapes and generally don't see floor, they have all this glycerol, all this texture. That's the thing that's missing in sherry, in, in floor-affected sherries yeah. and dry sherries, yeah. which are quite, you know, they're bright and they're in, wonderful in their own way, but have a... That mouth know, feels very... Very thin, thin texture, which means that you have to pair them with different foods. Um, but dry rancio wines are, are, are fascinating, and, and it, it gives us a chance to really go and see some of the... some incredible, very small producers and not feel like we're the big American Borg trying to buy their entire production of their red and white wines. We literally just want a barrel of Rancio from them. And a lot of times they're, they're, they're sort of mystified by it. But, um, well, again, you know, it's like talking with you guys and, and, and Nico, it's like, that's, that's what needs to be done. And I, I, there was recently that vice article that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, with uh, way, big text, yeah, big, big, big text Palazzi. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I would tell the story, but he should tell it in his voice. Ah, oh, fuck, man, he was just in here a little bit ago or a couple weeks ago. We had, we snuck him in the back, and the only way we were able to sneak him in because I mean there was a, quite a line out. I think there was about forty five people waiting to get in that night. It's like we're gonna be dicks, and he texted me and he said, uh, "Hey, um, can, uh, there's a line, man. How can I get in? I got my luggage." And so I just went out on the sidewalk and I said, hey, are you the French guy that has all the bottles with for us? <laughs> and he said, yes. And I'm like, come on, follow me. And I walked him around the back and it's like, lucky motherfucker. But uh, no, like, I mean, you know, you guys are bringing in all these uh, cool things, but you're, you're really reaching out and uh, really trying to tell the story of the producer. And that's. The part that, um, you know, like you said, you don't want to look like, oh, here, we're this some, uh, it's going to sound ridiculous at first, but like this, we're this American behemoth that's going to come in and buy all your stuff and we're going to market it and make, I mean, calling House Alpins a, a behemoth, like, I'm sure it sounds as equally silly, but I mean, uh, you know, you guys are Our all, stuff still fits on one spreadsheet. Right, right, right. I mean, but uh, but it really takes a few a few of you guys. I, I really hope that you know it never gets integrated into some larger uh, corporation because uh, I hate to see any of these things go away. But anyhow, that article uh, in Vice when he, he talked about um, you know just trying to convince some of these folks to like you can sell it outside your village. Like there are people interested in in buying this other than just your three or four neighbors that happen to have a farm nearby. And um, and I, I know we talked, well, maybe we didn't. Actually, I don't think we did. Um, we talked about the whole Claren thing. Uh, yeah. I know you're friends with uh, Kate Perry. I'm a big fan of Claren. And um, 
they are going through some 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 weird juju in uh, New York right now with the uh, Casimir. But um, Kate, Kate Perry is a good friend of mine. We've actually we talked a little bit about it while Arthur and I were in New York for the uh, Velier launch. Um, but I mean, it kind of the same situation when we talked with Luca Gargano. Um, you know, it was like he had to like really nudge those dudes and like, no, there's there's people outside of of, of Haiti or as he would say, Haiti, uh, out of Haiti that would actually buy this. Um, and I, I imagine that's pretty much an uphill battle for uh, for a lot of those trips you guys make. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a variety of things. It, you know, there that's certainly a part of it. Certainly for dry rancio wine, part of it is is that for for better or garage worse, wine. Yeah, if they're going at garage wine. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, no the, people will buy this. I promise. There, there's one wine over there, the the, the Domaine de Sal uh, Rancio Sec. Uh, we bought this wine from a wonderful lady named Beatrice Passama, who the wine was made by her um, her late husband, and hmm. the uh, it's Grenache Gris, which is a grape that's got plenty of richness and uh, gras, as they say in French. Uh, anyway, and he he was a fanatic for Rancio, and he had put some barrels down, about fifteen twenty barrels down, in the the family's old horse stables. Talk about Rancio. Yeah, well, I mean, been, <laughs> they, they hadn't been completely cleaned out, but they had been cleaned out. There's an old broken-down BMW motorbike in there and, and some other stuff. But it's the draftiest place I've ever seen wine. I mean, the evaporation on this stuff, would, would you wouldn't believe. Um, when we bought this wine, it had been, you know, you know Grenache Gris, a couple of warm years, probably went down into barrel at 15 or so. We bought that wine at 15% alcohol. We bought that wine. It was eighteen five alcohol, natural, mm-hmm. and and worked. You know, it, it, and it carried a bit of a sort of an aged spirit sensibility. But then, with all that sort of glycerol and creaminess that you get from Grenache Gris and from this sort of method, uh, it's a fascinating wine. And then, you know, the evaporation also causes concentration of acidity, as it causes concentration of alcohol, uh, which certainly helps. But uh, but this place, you know, the, the there was also some barrels of fortified sweet wine, some Rivasalt wine in that in those stables. And we, we tasted I tasted through every single one of those barrels last year. And we found some of that that we're probably gonna buy. And and but it it's like I wanna buy the stable. I wanna put more <laughs> right. wine in there, you know. But unfortunately the person the person looking after it is uh is unconvinced. Yeah. Um but you, know, you talk about you talk about honey floors of whiskey warehouses or 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 things like that, and and this is for for aged oxidative wine. It's the holy grail of this place. Man, I love when you come onto the show because we always get to get real geeky about some stuff. And I I, I hope that up to this point we haven't really turned anybody off. Of uh, I hope we've done the exact opposite. You know, I, I know we can get a little bit of technical on some of this stuff, but um, it's, I think you still have to know what's in the bottle. That, and that's the thing. I mean, know, this, this, we aren't inventing the wheel here. Right? Was this Kurt Schilling? Kurt Schilling said before a World Series, "What mis- once Mystique and Aura are, are dancers at the club down the corner." <laughs> you know, I, I think even for something that is so out there and so strange and so sort of particular, both in terms of what it is and how it tastes, knowing what's in the bottle is very, very helpful. Always. I mean, that's we're always fighting that, but then of course, always how to read a bottle, but. That's what we're here for. I mean, that's what the, that's what your bottle shops around for. That's what your bartenders are here for. That's what Jake's what would here you for. What would you guys rather me do? Not tell you what's in the bottle? Yeah, of course, right? Um, oh, this bottle is full of mystique. <laughs> well, uh, that is kind of how we write our menus can, around you here. You can really and, taste the mystique. It is the mystique is very pronounced. Um, we already talked about your hangover cures. Um, so I don't think we need to cover that tonight. But um, you know. Uh, by the time this episode goes up, you'll be outside of Indy. You're only here for shit. I think you're 18 hours, not yeah. even. Um, but what's on your travel schedule? Do you have some events planned in the next few weeks um, in other cities? You're doing some more Madeira. You're doing yeah, it's it's going to be a busy uh, busy time for me post Thanksgiving this year uh, for events uh, for consumer events or you know 
what what you guys probably would refer to as mo- yeah, mostly just as uh, anything in- that somebody could have turned to like to hunt you down and yeah. and find stuff. Oh Jesus fucking Christ! Is that your calendar? No, it's my calendar and the calendar of my team. Okay, or, like God damn, there's more. Like there's no white on that screen. It's all just. Um, <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who are who call uh, the Bay Area your home on November 3rd, I will be at Oakland Yard Wine Shop. Uh, not sure what I'm pouring yet, but that'll be a good time. Those are really, really lovely people. Uh, really fascinating shop, too. It's got an on-off license, so you can even buy a good bottle and drink it there. Um, uh, Sunday, October, Sunday, November 4th, I'll be at Barton Garden in Culver City uh, for an in-store tasting and... I think I did actually get the lineup for that one, but it's in my email somewhere. Sure, right on, man. I think it's got a little bit of Madeira and a little bit of cocktail stuff. Cool. Um, oh, actually, what, when are you putting this up? Oh, yeah, oh, soon. Yeah, you, Probably not by Wednesday. Though. I think by Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday, October 24th. What is today? I don't know. What the hell is today? Today's Monday, October 22nd. You're not getting All right. No, no, no. It'll be up by Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. No, so 24th. So, so perhaps tonight, uh, Wednesday, October 24th. I'm tonight. Gonna, I'm Hurry just, the fuck up. I'm just going to do this in the past tense. In, in of all places, Wayne, Pennsylvania, at a wonderful place called Teresa's, I'm doing a Madeira dinner uh, there, including the 1976 Tarantage uh. and, and the 1934 Verdelio uh. from H&H. Well, glad that you have that sitting on the table tonight, buddy. Well, sorry, I, I, you know, it gets a bit. <laughs> gotta shaken save it up. for. He's got to save it for Pennsylvania. It gets a bit shaken up in the airplane flights. Uh, moving on. Um, God, you travel more than anyone I know. Maybe, uh, maybe Friday, anyone, Friday, but. November thirtieth. It's uh, Christmas shopping season. I'll be at Independent Spirits in Chicago to pour some old and rare banyuls. Well, you're going to be up in Chicago. Yeah. And you're going to do bundles. Uh, Saturday, December 1st, I'll be at Red and White Wines in uh, in Chicago for a Madeira tasting. That'll be a good time. It's always good to hang out with Nathan and them. I had to swing up and see you in Chicago, man. Like, I, uh, nothing uh, more fun for me to hit Chicago during kind of Christmas season, you know. My wife likes to go down Michigan Avenue and check it all out. Yeah, it's it's a great time. It's and, beautiful. And if you if you do enjoy giving bibulous gifts, uh, there's some really, you know, in addition to you know, Benny says it. I've always said that every control state should just contract their their stores out to Benny's. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but then you've got shops like uh, Gluns and Independent Spirits, and, and that just do an amazing job of of across the board wine and spirits, and especially get people into this kind of crazy stuff. I mean. We were talking earlier, uh, Ed and I, about how Ed should do a, sh- a, a show or two on retailers, because it really is true, and I think a lot of you out there will understand this, that it's retailers that in so many places hold the community of drinkers together, and mm-hmm. that's why, you know, I'm going to go through this list of things that are mostly in-store tastings, mainly because, you know, it's it, it's such a, a rewarding part of my life in, in, in this sort of trade. No, I think it's an absolutely great idea, and because we haven't really approached that kind of off-premise, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, and, or the retailer end of it. So I think it's a great idea to be able to do that. And so, um, well, I know you've got a lot of things to do tonight, and you've got an early morning um, tomorrow. I, I can give um, you the rest of the tour dates. Oh, you've got more. More. you got more. You've got more. Come on. Oh, keep yeah. it rolling. Let's um, go. Where are we going? December 4th, Charlottesville, Virginia, tastings. Uh, that'll be a little Banyols and a little Madeira, I think. Uh, December 5th at... Uh, uh, Jay Emerson in Richmond, Virginia. That'll be Madeira. That'll be we might even pop some really cool stuff there. December sixth, the Gordons in Waltham, Massachusetts. That's going to be Madeira, probably in a little Banyols. Uh, December seventh, at Central Bottle in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's going to be a Madeira and cheese pairing. Our fair city. Oh my God. Sorry. <laughs> Just a little shout Cam- out to Cambridge, the Massachusetts. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, December 8th, I know I'll be at Streetcar in Jamaica Plain, and I think I'll be at Urban Grape in the South End. December 9th, doing an Amaro thing at Sin in Providence, which is a bakery and a bar. This is how I'm amazed that you're not divorced. December December 11th, I'll be in Williamsburg, Virginia. December 13th, I'll be in Norfolk, Virginia. And December 21st, I I will close the book on my year at Wygant Wines in Washington, D.C., which if you don't shop there and you live in D.C., then uh, you you should get your head checked. Yeah, that voice uh, is great. And then I'll finally get to breathe. Uh, I'm not going anywhere for Christmas. So no. Um, well, uh, nip down to, home, nip down to Richmond for for a half day. But we uh, got a Hong Kong trip coming up soon, right? Yeah, going to Hong Kong. Uh, going to Hong Kong. That's uh, Thanksgiving with the in laws. Uh, requires going to the new no, no seminars. 
No, no Madeira seminaries out there. The Madeira market in Hong See, Kong Hong is Kong, well, so well looked at. So that would be uh, Cantonese, right? So no, no uh, fluent Cantonese. I'm impressed, man. So that also means that I two, don't speak. <laughs> two, bowl, two bowls of wonton noodles, please. That's pretty much, pretty much uh, as far as I can go in, in Guangdonghua. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's a busy it's a busy November and December. But I'll be out there for for folks who are happen to catch me in New England or in Virginia, um, and we can talk about oxidation. Well, Doctor Parrot, Doctor Ed, thank you so much. What a treat! I was I uh, said that earlier. I said you know I always love it. You always call everyone doctor, but I'm like I said that to uh, a friend of mine earlier, and like oh, I gotta go see Doctor Parrot, and they're like that sounds like a cartoon name. <laughs> I think it makes Pretty a much. great like evil. It's an evil cartoon character, Doctor Parrot. Great. I, my, I, my, I, I'm, I'm, I think it is great. My my aunt uh, my aunt Judy does an amazing thing. She she is a hospital clown. She goes around to kill kids that are incredibly sick and and plays with them and is this sort of out you know plays this sort of outrageous clownish figure of by the name Dr. Lollipop. And she's been doing it for like fifty years. There you go. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So you inherited Doctor. Well you know. And doctor, I'm a doctor of journalism. For me it. it's for me it's the only way to remember people's surnames, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much, Jake, man. Hey, uh, I like, love it. Hit us I'd up again, to, you know. Like I'm around. I'm always around. Pretty much probably right here where we're sitting. Like this is one of the few times I've actually got to sit at our There's, there's rum and glassware. What more do you want? Well, I mean, like we we sat down, you know, unwound at the end of our evenings as we were building the place, but like as after we've been open, this the last thing on our mind has been sitting down at our own bar to to kind of like take a take a breath and be like, "Wow, this place is actually kind of fucking cool this place has layers folks it's a lot of layers you, man you've got it you got to get here it's uh and there's not a half bad thai restaurant next door either <laughs> well, yeah i would like to think so <laughs> yeah it's uh i want to i want to thank everyone at siam square for making sure that i got some dinner tonight well again thank you so much Cheers. hey and uh folks go find yourself some madeira some uh round all, all the things from house alpens and to, at the risk of throwing in one last plug, after many, many, many months and years of work, we have a new website. Oh, there you, that's right. I just checked it out. Alpens.com, A-L-P-E-N-Z. Uh, check it out. Um, and, and, and a huge, huge shout out to our marketing, national marketing person, Lauren Clark, who has made that thing her own, and, and it's fantastic. And we'll have a link on our show notes. So, hey. You guys have a great, uh, great evening. Well, this is a great evening for us. I don't know when the hell people are listening to it. Could be Drink morning. Good stuff, folks. Have a good evening. Have a good afternoon. Have a good uh, morning. Whatever it is that you're uh, listening to us. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.